Tour de Force, how are you this afternoon? I'm good, thank you. Really good. Um, had a busy morning, so um, afternoon is nice, and it's really sunny, so that's wonderful. Very good. Um, so the first thing I need to ask is that. So when I first came across you, I thought that Tour de Force as a whole was just your stage name, and it wasn't until I emailed you that your actual first name is Tor. Um, yeah, and considering I've never met a Tor before. So my name is Tor, as, um, so Tor Burns is my name. It is short for something else, so it is an almost nickname, but all my family call it. Yeah, and I was going under my full name as a DJ for quite a long time, um, and someone did a write-up about me and called me a Tor Force. And I was oh, like, oh, very good, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an instantly putting my DJ name to that, and then I use it for all my performance stuff as well. Um but if I'm working in other professional capacities, I still use my full name. But um, Tour de Force is almost a, a caricature or a hyped-up version of myself. It's... Yeah. <laughs> no. And I guess especially in your industry, I guess it's your personality, but just sort of turned up to 10. Yeah, I guess so. Because obviously I, there's so many different parts of my work that I do and kind of DJing is the thing that kind of spiralled it or pushed it forward. And that's the thing... So, so lots of people know me for so many different things and what I do. And some people don't even know me DJ. They know me from other things. Yeah. And it's quite weird. But even though Tour de Force can be used as a DJ name, but it's also still, it's a, it's a handle, isn't it, as well? So mm-hmm. it's, it's a performance name or a handle that is kind of people know me. And then there's some people that don't know what a Tour de Force is. So then it throws them. Then they're like, I don't understand what it means. And then they <laughs> do the Tour de France. And I'm like, no, it's yeah. a force of nature it's a whirlwind and they're like oh right that makes sense like, well i will admit that when i started typing tour the first thing that came up on google also answers was the tour de france exactly <laughs> with being a dj i guess that spiraled from music in some capacity what's like your first musical memory um so i started djing in my mid-20s and um, because I was a real party girl, I used to go out really every night of the week. I particularly liked indie music and kind of like new rave and anything that was a little bit alternative and retro pop. Um, and I used to go to these kind of club nights um, like two, three, four times a week. I go every week. Um, I kept asking the DJs for songs and um, they were all my friends. And then one of them turned around <laughs> one day and just went, Tor, can you just go and learn to DJ? Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah. And I, I was collecting vinyl at the time, um, and playing it out at a few house parties, and then kind of put some CDs together and played in a couple of clubs, and it kind of spiralled from there because because my personality is so big, or was even bigger then in my mid twenties. <laughs> um, you know, I'd climb up on the on the decks and I'd get in the crowd and I'd do really stupid things. Yeah, um, because it was all about having fun. It wasn't about it wasn't about being clever with the mixes or anything else. It was pretty good songs that everyone would love and being silly too. Um, yeah, yeah. It just spiraled from there, really. So I've been there for one or two things that you've done, like Bomber Sevens, Teddy Rocks, that sort of thing. But especially with Sevens, there's like the drum and bass stuff and everything else. It reminds me so much of like a Year Six disco, but in the best way possible. Yeah. So. We kind of, I mean, I play a lot with a few friends, um, yeah. DJ Sarah Blow, mm-hmm. um, DJ Ryder, and then Adam Fox, who's actually my partner as well. And we base our music, 
we base it kind of on intellectual cheese is kind of what we classify it as almost. I can see that, yeah. But it, it can range from anything from 50s rock and roll to modern commercial chart via hip hop, via R&B, via pop, via some drum and bass. You're not going to know what happens next. It's going to be silly. And we encourage people to sing along and be daft. Like there's no seriousness in it. It really is about singing along and oh, yeah. having a good time. And, you know, just being silly. I just find it so weird when people can just stand in the same place, listen to the same beat. All night. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I want to sing along. I want to be free, you know. Yeah, so. no, service. So did you get your start in Bournemouth or have you just sort of ended up here just through happenstance? Yeah, I've lived in Bournemouth for a long time since I've been 17, so like 23 years. Sure. Um, and then been DJing for like 15 years and always always, always been based in Bournemouth. Um, yeah. Over the summer, I moved around the country, going to different festivals, yeah. different, different things. Um, so, yeah, I always come back to Bournemouth as my base but um, have played and gone everywhere, really. Yeah, you know, it's a weird thing because, like, especially when you think of female DJs in particular, like with me, there's only like a handful of like known DJs that I can count on one hand. Ariel Free, who's massive on Radio 1, Annie Mac, and a smattering of others. And I guess that when you started, being a female DJ probably wasn't really a thing. No. Um, so when I first started, it really wasn't a thing. It really wasn't. The only people that were really DJing then was like Lisa Lashes, who does Hard House. She okay. was one of the few DJs that was doing it then. So she must be in her late 40s now. Oh, that was in, in a scene that people would see them more. Obviously, there is more DJs than that. Um, when I first started, I then went travelling for a year and came back. And there was another lady that had moved to Bournemouth in that time. And we quickly became best friends. She's mm -hmm. still best friends and she was a dj as well and she started a group called frau djs um, oh, yeah, yeah. and it basically we, we she gathered all the female djs in bournemouth and we all serve as a collective um we still go as frau there's so it's been going for 12 or 13 years i think um we still play under frau occasionally more so to um to train new djs so it's something that we can hold our hands out. Me and Sarah do it a lot and hold our hands out so that new female DJs can come and feel comfortable learning with us and being surrounded by us. Um, yeah, when we first started, we would get people come up behind the decks, go through our stuff, try and press things, ask us if we knew what we are doing, ask us if they could have a go, that kind of thing. And that's why we stood together as a group to kind of serve that we were stronger and people to piss off essentially <laughs> <laughs> very much so so speaking of knowing what you're doing now now from someone who knows nothing about djing i'm sure it's not just a case of you plug in a usb and you press play or that you just sort of turn a few knobs without really knowing what you do i'm assuming it's much more sophisticated with faders and reverb and all that fun stuff it doesn't have to be, and this is what I think is the beauty of DJing and what a lot of people underestimate or overestimate what a DJ is. A DJ is there to create a vibe in the room. If a DJ came in with a Spotify playlist and pressed play and it made the whole room go off and kept happening, that's essentially you know someone that's providing a party. So when you get to the stage as a DJ, you're standing there and you've created these playlists, but the most important thing is you look up at the room and you can look at the mm -hmm. whole room, which may have a thousand people in 
and see what they want and what the energy is and transport them onto the next piece of the journey. So it's not about putting your head down and thinking you're playing what yeah. you want to play. It's about getting something that joins people. With regards to pressing play or using a fader or twisting knobs, you can do all <laughs> that. And I do. I can mix. Yeah. I can blend. Often it's not needed. Often it is, you know, if you took something out that was playing, you know, the chorus and you took it out and mixed it, you could do this perfect mix. But if you lost the essence of the track, it would be, you know, useless to nobody. So you can do lots of things. The most important thing is getting all the music, spending years on it. You know, my USB is full of so much music, so many remixes, so much random rare stuff, so much stuff that works. And then I spend hours curating these. And then it's about looking up and making sure that the room's yeah. happy and throwing in surprises, curveballs. And yeah, it's about listening to your audience as well. We're like listening to your audience, I guess, like depending on what you feel is right. Do you like have a specific set list you go through that you know what you're doing? Or is it a case of, eh, I'll fling into that, I'll fling into that, I'll transfer into that and just see what happens and hope for the best? It's pretty much the second <laughs> one, yeah. Um, a, lot of, a lot of DJs do have set lists and set plays and they will have set formulas that they know and they'll pr- sure. plan their yeah. sets before they go on. Um, I've never done that in my life. Um, I'll think about what I'm going to come on with, but generally that's to make a huge impact. Um, Nine times out of ten, it'll be big boys. (laughs) So, I mean, and then I just see, because if you, for example, if I came on with Venga boys and the crowd hated it, then I wouldn't mix into what I normally would and I'd completely change it up. And you can do that because I'm a Mm multi-genre DJ, meaning I can play all sorts of music with all sorts of BPM, so beats per minute. Um, I can change and manipulate the tracks and slow them down and speed them up and filter them in and filter them out and mix them and try and do all these little things. It makes me sound really snazzy when I do that, <laughs> but it's not that snazzy. I'm always messing up, you know. It's really is trial oh, yeah. and error. And if you mess up, it sounds like you're human yeah, rather than using but a sync button. Yeah. So, and yeah. so in your experience, like regardless of what people are thinking, they want to hear a song that they're like, oh my God, if I don't get up and dance, I don't know what I'm going to do. In your experience, what has been the biggest floor filler you've got in your arsenal? What song gets people up regardless of what they think, whether or not it's Macarena or Cotton Eye Joe or something along those lines? Cotton Eye Joe's a good one. It won't get everyone dancing though. But there's a couple that I have that are like my safety yeah. track. So if anything's wrong, you can play this at a wedding or at a cool club or anywhere, and it will generally make mm-hmm. people happy. Things that do that is Hey Ya okay. Outcast. That's one that tends to work. Um, Amy Winehouse's okay. We Have. I will admit, I wasn't expecting that. It's not the most uh, beach song in the world. Because to me, it's like Macarena, S Club 7, Reach for the Stars. See, that's my sort of thing. <laughs> I'm really into that, but some of those get people kind of almost going, oh, so it's Cheesy a fine 2000s line. pop, no thank you, yeah. yeah. I know, it's perfect for me, but something like Amy Winehouse's Rehab or yeah, Valerie, Valerie's good. works really Valerie well. Very good. Anyway, anyway. Uh, Mr. Oh, Brightside yeah. never goes wrong, but personally, I, I try not to play that unless people <laughs> keep asking for it. Yeah, as an indie DJ, that's all I've had asked for yeah. ever since I've started DJing. And 
at indie clubs, I'm like, guys, there's so yeah. many better songs than this. But um, it changed my opinion when I didn't used to take a lot of mm-hmm. kind of requests because I was always like, oh, guys, yeah. you know, think of something better. And then someone asked for Mr. Brightside one day, and I was like, oh, I'm, it's an indie night. I'm yeah. obviously going to play mm-hmm. it, but maybe it's later on. And I was like, also, go yeah. away and think of something better. Um, and he looked at me and he was like, oh, like, this is the first time mm-hmm. I've seen my friends in like a year. We've all got kids. We've all got babysitters yeah. tonight. And we've all come out. It's like our song. And I was like, that's why you play requests because they don't hear it all the time. And it really means a lot to them. Yeah. You know, it's their uni yeah. song or whatever. Um, and so that changed my opinion. And I play stuff when people ask for it now, <laughs> most of the time, unless it's really stupid. <laughs> that's cool. And so you mentioned at the beginning that you are not only a DJ, but you own a, I guess, is it like, is it like a event company? Is that the best way to put it? It's turned into an events company, yeah. We used to be promoters, so We Break Free is my company. Uh, that's mm-hmm. been going for 11 years now. Uh, it started out as a night, mm-hmm. essentially a club night. Um, and I, I started it because I wanted to do a cl- so a lot of student nights have this kind of club. Yeah. People will come every week. So I wanted to do that, but just for a little bit of an age, older age group. So for people sure. in like their mid twenties. Oh my, my so age group. To come my to age group. I'm twenty five. <laughs> okay. Oh. You're there. You're there. <laughs> but it was like that. I wanted that feeling yeah. of like a club night that wasn't yeah. clubby, like playing good indie music, cool stuff that you could come with, like a youth club feel and vibe that you'd mm. see people every week, and then we put live music on. So that's how yeah. we started. Um, and then over the years, it's developed. Um, so we, we've done lots of live shows. Mm. I book DJs. I program festivals. I work events. So I do artist liaison and stage management at yeah. multiple festivals. Um, do lots of weddings. So lots of things. Like that. So me and my partner run the company. Um, yeah, and it's called We Work Free. So it's developed into an events events company, really. But what started as as a, a so fun you've night. got the DJ stuff down. That's fine. You know how to do that. But I guess when you create a company, you, you sort of need to like learn how to how to run a company as you go. Was that quite a big old uh, learning curve? Yeah. So my background before I moved full time into music was ah, okay. hospitality. So I managed yeah. bars. So it, it transfers yeah, yeah. the skills quite easily. I already had the sure. hobby of music and had the background of you know, doing 10 years within um, restaurant management oh, yeah. and running bars and things. And I've always mm-hmm. worked at festivals as well. So it just transported quite quickly over with having the mm-hmm. management experience into into booking and promoting and, um, yeah, doing all those things. And, again, it was, you know, when I started the company, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I ran it by myself and was a very rare yeah. female promoter, um, having to work full Throttle in the music industry was quite <laughs> terrifying, but you know, I, I stand up for myself. Similarly, with being a female DJ, I guess there aren't many female-led promotional companies either. So, I guess did that mean that you have that experience of being this sort of disruptor in the space when you did begin the old company thing? I don't think a disruptor. I think it. it I had to stand quite yeah. strong and quite tall. And I quickly kind of got offered quite a lot of stuff and would get yeah. on a lot of panels and things like that to talk to people because mm. I am a strong character and I don't back down. 
and I will stand up to yeah. men or women or anyone anyone that kind of gets in my way or treats yeah. anybody incorrectly. Um, so you know, there's been there was a lot of times when man, it's, it's management agents come in and they walk into the venue or into wherever I was, and they'd walk straight mm-hmm. up to my partner, um, yeah. assuming that it was there. No, nope. I'd have to go over and be like, "No, this is I've entered the room." Me, you know, yeah, and um, it would happen a lot, and it always has, and it, it still, it still does occasionally, you know, when because mm-hmm. me and my partner DJ together, um, and a lot of things. I'll be talking to me all through the booking process. Everything's been arranged with me, but as soon as you walk into a room for some reason, a lot of people want yeah. man to talk to. Luckily, I'm too gobby, <laughs> so it doesn't work. Yeah, so the, the old company thing spiral into being involved in the um, Arts by the Sea Festival for Bournemouth. Was that just a weird divine intervention? It's a mix of things. So my passion for live music um, meant that I put gigs on in all the different venues and all these different places. Um, and then when Arts by the Sea, you know, mm-hmm. that's been going for quite a long time. And then in 2017... They wanted someone kind of younger on the on the panel on the steering group, so they asked me to be on the steering group. So I kind of gave my opinion from you know underground music mm-hmm. scene, live music scene, what's happened, which was really good. I got really involved with that, um, and then from that time, obviously, I worked in a lot of festivals and stuff yeah. as myself. And then COVID happened, and during COVID, I did lots to kind of try and maintain my relationship with the mm. events world and make myself stand really tall so that when it came back, yeah. I could have a job. Um, and while I was doing that, Arts by the Sea approached me again and asked me to be involved with Arts by the Sea. So, yeah, and then a few years later, now I'm the creative director. So it's been a journey. <laughs> yeah. And so you mentioned COVID, like, especially because I remember, so must be in February 2020, and we didn't know what was happening and so it was the guy who runs halo in bournemouth he was he was basically saying come if you can or if you're ill don't come that sort of thing and then obviously everything shut down and for people who who have been to a club night social distancing is probably the last thing on the agenda i think that was like since you started the first time where you couldn't do what you do for a living for the first time in your adult life. So how did you navigate that just entire period? So being in events and as a freelancer, even though everyone was saying, oh, it's not that bad, it's not that bad, as a freelancer, all my gigs got cancelled quite quickly before people, before the lockdown happened. Two or three weeks before, essentially, everything that was booked for let me go. So I, yeah. I knew it was coming as a freelancer. Like, right, I don't have a job. I don't have full of, you know, yeah. sick pay. Yeah. I don't have any. And so I actually, the day of lockdown, I started working at Lidl. Okay, yeah, yeah. The day of actual, the first day of full lockdown, I'd already got a job in Lidl. They got me in the next, yeah. like, two days later, and I started. I only worked okay. there for six weeks, but it meant that I didn't feel hopeless. I didn't get sunk into this depression. Um, and then over the next kind of course of two years or however long yeah. it was, a year and a half, um, I did lots of jobs. I worked kind of testing, COVID testing and things like that with a security firm. So I did lots of stuff, worked in an ice cream van and a cheese shop um, and kept stuff ticking along. But what I also did is make sure on my promotions company that I continued promoting. 
Um, even though I didn't have a show, it didn't mean I couldn't promote bands and it couldn't promote music. So I did a series of taking a photo in every band T-shirt I own, which is over 100, and I promoted each single band and put them on my social media just to not let people know that, <laughs> yeah. you know, I still existed and we broke free still existed yeah. and I cared about music and I wanted people to still make music. Um, and then once it was kind of getting to the end, there was a big thing mm-hmm. called We Make Events. Um, and I organised the kind of big photo outside mm-hmm. the pavilion in Bournemouth. So I gathered um, a handful of people within yeah. the events company, kind of in the local area. So mm-hmm. I had other DJs, circus performers, festival organisers, sound technicians, mm-hmm. lighting technicians, comedians, um, musicians, all come and stand outside the pavilion and had a photo taken um, and set up kind of the movement of We Make yeah. Events within Bournemouth, which is a, a, was a national mm-hmm. event thing. But I felt like no one was doing it in Bournemouth, so I spearheaded that and got that going. It's one of those things, especially with previous guests I've had on, they ended up in a place where they didn't think they would end up in a good way. Yeah. Like one of the previous guests during COVID, she created a dance troupe and they're still doing it to this day. She's just choreographed her first pantomime and everything. People just have ended up in, in weird places that they would never have thought. I've changed my career completely. For, well, not completely. I still do music and I still DJing, yeah. but I'm now working more in the festival scene than yeah. I was, um, which I absolutely love and was what is what I've always wanted to do. But being given those opportunities because of me not putting my head down is really like something I'm really grateful for. And yeah. you know, I use that time to learn more and push myself and do these things I wouldn't have had time to do otherwise. Um, so I think I've come out a lot stronger from COVID, actually. I probably yeah. would just be kind of ticking along if I hadn't. Had yeah, that. yeah. Um, but I wouldn't want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a joint no thank you on that one. So festival season, I guess that's from about, I guess, May till about early September-ish? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the first one is end of April, which is Teddy Rocks. Yeah. So the first one in the calendar. Um, although, because I work in arts festivals, there's mm. actually also arts and light festivals all year. This is my first festival this year is the end of January, which is I'm going to. I'm just a punter, not working out. But end of January is the first one. Yeah. During the festival season, what's like a normal week? Do you just sort of live at festivals or do you do your normal gigs during the week and just rock up on the weekend what does a normal festival week look like for you so in in full festival season we actually live in our van um yeah. so we live in our van um this is going say on like previous years in the previous two years this is a basis um i'm mm-hmm. currently between contracts so i'm not sure exactly what my contract will look like sure. but generally i work um office hours like tuesday to friday Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of work full-time hours there so like 10 till 6 mm-hmm. um, they're slightly flexible in the fact that you know maybe I'll work a Monday instead of a Friday sometimes but I will work those in offices um, and then I will during this time in the evening on a Wednesday night I'll tend to drive to a festival get to a festival because of the work I do at the different festivals I tend to be able to use their production office which means I can work from the production office on another festival from sure. my lap- <laughs> And then in the evening, I'll either do DJ set or I'll do work for that festival. Um, 
And then over the weekend from Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I work on the festival all weekend. Um, each festival has different job roles that I do. So some of them I might just be doing a couple of DJ sets, which is really lovely. And then yeah. I can enjoy myself a bit. Whereas others I might be doing, you know, 16 hour days, um, yeah. doing crazy stuff. And then on a Monday, I'll tend to leave the festival site, drive as far, close as I can to the next festival or halfway through. We'll either stay on a campsite or we'll go back home and repeat it. So it, it's constant kind of moving. Living in the van really helps. Um, having good internet connection helps. I'll do a lot of work. I might do like half half a day in a service station and then during during my lunch break, we'll travel another hour and then do another, uh, half a day in the next service station. Yeah. It's a lot more intense than it is. It's not that bad because you live quite simply. Yeah. And you you don't have to – no one knows where you are, so you're quite free. <laughs> um, and it's really lovely, actually. I, I, I wouldn't want to – I wouldn't want to change it. I love, love working at festivals so, so much. Yeah. And the fact that I'm essentially doing four different jobs during a week means that I never get bored or bugged down on something too much. My brain's always getting fresh ideas from the different things. Yeah. Though, when do you sleep? I sleep at night time. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just making sure, because when you're sort of doing gigs during the week, I assume that your working hours are probably from like 10 to about 3 a.m. or roundabout? No, on a, on a, I don't do DJ sets or gigs on a Tuesday or like on a Monday, tu- Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, I won't DJ. I won't stay okay. night. I'll be in bed by, be in bed by like 11. That's fine. So I guess it's only for the weekend that you don't see daylight basically. I see loads of daylight. It's sunny all the time in the summer. I literally sleep in the dark. So I'll go to bed. Sometimes I might stay up. It, de- it really depends on the jobs I'm doing every Every job is different. And, and as I've got older, people are kinder, so I get to do the daytime shifts. So getting up in the morning isn't a problem. You know, I'll start, I'll start at like 7 or 8 a.m. at a lot of festivals, and then I'll be by 10. And then I'll go and, you know, check it out for a couple of hours and be in bed by 2. So it's it's fine. Quite a nice life, isn't it? Oh, yeah, Quite a nice life. Awesome. Lovely. There's um, a lot of steps. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Um, and so do you do any um, abroad festivals during the summer as well? Um, so I haven't worked on any abroad for a couple of years. Sure. Um, but I have, like last year I went to Primavera as a, as, a, as a guest, not as a guest, as a paying customer. I went as a paying customer. And this year I'm going to Primavera in Porto. So check those out. Um, in the past I've DJed like Ibiza Rocks in Very Ibiza nice. as well. Um, then I've worked in Croatia at um, Dimensions and Outlook Festival. So I've done stuff over there just doing artist liaison. So I looked after some pretty fun people there as well. So, yeah. But not too much now with the Arts by the Sea job because that takes up like three, four days of my week. Yeah. it's I've got to be able to do those and got to be kind of contactable for meetings and things. So it's, mm. it's, it's a good, you know, more permanent, solid job that I I'm a bit obsessed with. <laughs> but when you do do these festivals during the summer, what is the ratio of male to female DJs, just out of curiosity? Um, it's obviously loads different to where it was a few years ago. Yeah, um, yeah. Most festivals, 
try really hard. And this is going to be, this is a quite a controversial thing to say. Sure. A lot of festivals try really hard to ensure that there is, you know, a, a fair lineup and that's with people of colour as well and yeah. and LGBTQ community and mm-hmm. women. And a lot of festivals really try their hardest to to embrace that and make sure that there's a fair space for everybody. But it is hard. It is really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um and I'll be completely honest, I've, you know, added that into my kind of email being like, oh, I noticed you haven't got many females on your lineup, you know, and and use the positive discrimination. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That side of it. But it is a lot better than it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know what the actual ratio would be. And there's always things if you look at like Reading Festival and they tend to take out, but that's bands and that's in a different situation as well. But yeah. Um, Women are DJ wise smashing it. Yeah, well, because I've gone back to what I said at the beginning. Um, so I did a bit of research, um, and there was a study by by like some sort of website. I can't remember what the name was, but basically it said that in 2023, female DJs did double the amount of gigs than male DJs. So I think that just, yeah, puts an exclamation mark on your previous comment. This is something I would 100% agree with, and it's it's different to the ratio of DJs, male to female DJs, that are doing something. Um, yeah. For example, I mean, it it speaks huge amounts. I did 79 DJ sets this year mm-hmm. with 27 festivals, not all DJing at them, seven weddings, went to 36 live shows. Mm-hmm. I don't think many males will have done that many DJ sets, but I have to do a lot of the DJ sets to continue to carry my name on. And I have to do that with my Instagram as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can see DJs that I haven't seen anything on their Instagram or anything that they're doing and they will get booked and they will not be a better quality than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is really frustrating. And it is like, we have to work twice as hard to get there. Is it because we're getting paid half as much? We don't know. Is it because we feel we've got something to to lose or we, we've worked this hard and pushed this far that, you know, if we don't keep up? I mean, I have that fear. Like, I, I personally really want to slow down on my DJing because I don't want to stay awake till three or four o'clock in the morning anymore. Mm-hmm. But if I don't do those bread and butter gigs, you get forgotten about as a female quite quickly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that is a huge exclamation mark. You are correct in that. <laughs> um, uh, and it's massive. Like, you feel like you're constantly fighting to get these gigs. Um, but, yeah. Just interrupting this episode to ask you a quick favour. If you like what you're listening to, give it a rating, leave a review, and subscribe to the podcast feed. It helps more than you could imagine. Now, back to the episode. Obviously, sort of, with not being a DJ, I can't see anything. But, but all I can say, the industry is definitely being forced to head, hopefully, in the right direction as a result. Um, though a DJ does a gig at a venue, um, and I think it was early this week uh, you put up a post about how like so many independent venues closed in 2023, um, and so. I think it's at the end of January that it's independent venue week or something like like that. So why are independent venues so important? 
especially after everything that happened over the past few years? I mean, that's so important. So I work for Independent Venue Week. I'm the Southwest Region Rep. So I look after kind of Southampton, Portsmouth, Bournemouth, um, and I speak to all the independent venue venues and I try and get them to put on shows and get people to come to the venues. The reason they're so important is it's about community. It's about growth. It's about the place that you go with your mates to have a drink and see this band that you've never seen before. It's finding this new music. It's having the freedom to do it. It's also been doing it as a young person. So it's the first steps into the music industry. Uh, also that as a band. So, you know, there's no band that hasn't played an independent or grassroots venue and just gone straight to stadiums. Like it's mm-hmm. even Adele did a few grassroots venues, you know, and Ed Sheeran absolutely did it for oh, years, yeah. you know? So these venues are like the heart and soul of communities. And they're where people find the next big band and they can do it for under a tenner or 10 quid, you know, and they see three acts for 10 pounds. It's just so important to keep them going for the music industry as a whole, like every aspect of it. And the people that work in these venues will go on to bigger venues and bigger things, or or maybe Mm -hmm. they're not, maybe it's more of a passion project and a hobby for them. But Mm -hmm. it has this love that is so much needed and, aspired compared to just it's giving that soul isn't it and that character and you know there's some venues that I just couldn't imagine not having like the joiners to me even though I live in Bournemouth the joiners has always been since I've been you know 20 years old you go to this crazy gig and you get on a train and it'd be an adventure and it'd be a big night out and you'd see some crazy bands like seeing all sorts I remember seeing Wheatus play an acoustic set set. you know like silly Stuff like that, that you just, you can't see or feel and you want a pint knocked over you and you want to be sweaty. <laughs> yes. You want, to, you want to be able to collect the pick and stuff like that. This oh, yes. The live, it's more venue. Yeah. yeah, like it's on my bucket list before I died to see Waiters play Teenage Dirtbag. In whatever form it comes in, it's on my bucket list because Teenage Dirtbag was the first song I learned to play on guitar. So before I died, you're going to see him play Teenage Dirtbag live. Yes. And it's a guaranteed floor filler, Teenage Dirtbag, as it well. Is. It's a it guaranteed is. floor filler. It is a guaranteed floor filler. Although it, it's it's hard to play because sometimes people do get a little bit bored. Of waiters. It's younger generations. It's um like now TikTok's in. Yeah, I can understand. Younger that. generations don't like to wait till the second um, verse. Well, it's got some interesting lyrics anyway, doesn't it? That's the late nineties for you. <laughs> yeah. Though I guess that because of Saltburn, Sophie Ellis Bexter is gonna be everywhere with Murder on the Dance Floor. It already was. Murder on the Dance Floor has already been a big hit for the past couple of years. Huge. Students ask for it all the time. So now it's beyond that, it's gonna be even bigger, yeah. Oh definitely. massive. Yeah. Massive. So speaking of memories in venues, as either like a DJ or as a punter, what's been your like craziest DJ experience or or venue experience? Something that instantly sticks out in your mind. Oh, I've done a lot of things and been a lot of places. So, like, and often people have to remind me what I've done or where I've been. <laughs> <laughs> that really bad. I mean, yeah. you know, for the past 10 years, apart from COVID years, I've probably been to, like, 25 festivals a year. And then, yeah, and, and obviously all the gigs on top of that and DJ mm-hmm. sets. So it's a lot. Um, my one of a DJ set that always sticks out to me personally is um, 
like playing Glastonbury for the first time. Oh, um, yes, and I played, Yeah, it was. I I didn't think I'd been such a big bar, and I was on the West Holtz bar. Oh yeah. So down the side of the West Holtz stage, I yeah. was in that bar, and it was massive, and people were all on tables, and and my sister yeah. was there and things as well, and mm-hmm. that was quite a few years ago now, but it really just stands out as me being like. Oh, oh my yeah <laughs> DJ, you know like not yeah. just messing around um yeah was that just in general a very sort of pinch me moment yeah it was really i was just like i was so nervous before i went on and then i went yeah. on I like, oh it's fine um, i know what yeah I'm doing. Just, just another gig just another gig it's fine gig. <laughs> yeah exactly and then it's kind of got bigger and bigger through that yeah. and then gigs wise I don't know. I've been to all sorts and seen mm-hmm. all sorts, and it, and as soon as I get off this call from you, I'll be like, <laughs> "Oh, I told you about that." Damn, I, should... I forgot about that. Um, I always get kind of overwhelmed when people ask me that because I'm like, "What did I do last? Who did I see?" <laughs> um, some big ones that kind of stand out is like um, doing We Broke Free. I got to put on my own shows at Million mm. Place Guard, so putting on bands before they're big that has always been a passion of mine so like having blossoms play to 150 people at a free entry show um was pretty special and having mystery jets play um against 200 people like with all my favorite songs and knowing that it was all there because i did it was pretty exciting um yeah right so we are in a brand new year 2024 um and so I was watching um, a video from a freelance film critic person that I follow. And he basically says that January in freelance in general does tend to be a more difficult month than others, obviously because of Christmas and January being a bit at the end of the day. Does January tend to be a quieter month generally? Yeah, January is a quieter month as it goes. However, like this January, I'm absolutely loving so i'm between contracts with arts by the seat so i'm not working for them until the next contract signed mm-hmm. which should be you know within a few weeks i'm not quite sure yet you know it's it's there's so much paperwork to go with that kind of yeah. thing um but i have got work as we broke free with quite a few festivals but mm-hmm. normally i kind of drip feed that work mm-hmm. whereas this year i'm managing to get it all kind of done and scheduled now so i'm ahead of myself and i won't have that feeling of pressure mm-hmm. um, that I've had over the past couple of years. Um, but that's just from experience and being able to plan my time. Um, and then, yeah, kind of being ahead and being able to answer people's emails a bit better. But then obviously I have independent venue week at the end of the month, so that's all now. So yeah. although I'm quieter, yeah, um, it's, it's more manageable. Yeah. It's more like I'm completely not stressed at the minute. Um, and I've just left six million postcards after you know ten years of being there. Oh wow! So okay. I don't have that pressure of that job anymore. Sure. Um, so yeah, it's 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 nice. I'm getting to go to the gym every morning. So. <laughs> yeah. and I, I've, that's a normal time. Yeah. Yeah. Took a lot less DJ sets. I'm only DJing like four times this month, whereas normally I'd kind of DJ almost every weekend. Yeah. Like twice a weekend, and I'm not doing that anymore. Um, just hand picking things a little bit more rather than um, saying yes to everything because I'm panicking. Yeah. Being able to breathe through it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, what are you looking forward to in 
2024. Uh, what am I looking forward to? I know, even though we're only at the time of recording 11 days in. So kind of in the short term, I'm looking forward to, there's a festival at the end of this month, which I'm just going to as a mm-hmm. as a, as a person, um, and it's called the Mighty Hoopla Festival. Okay. And it is my one of my favourite festivals. One, because it's the end of January, so it's gloomy as hell. Yeah. It's in Butlins. Oh, very nice. Very nice. It's a Butlins festival, and it is a queer-centric festival mm-hmm. based on Naughty's pop. Um, have you heard of it before? Um, I, I don't think of that one. In, so Mighty Hoopla, did you say? Yeah, Mighty Hoopla. Okay. They have one in June. Which is in I was going to say that was, yeah, because for some reason there was a reel that came up, must have been last summer, of it was Natasha Bedingfield's set where everyone was singing at the top of their lungs unwritten. That's it. That is yeah. the one. That's exactly okay, cool. The one. That is the one I was thinking of. That is exactly the one. So they have a festival in the summer, but over the summer it's on summer ball weekend, which I work on, so we can never go. But this one at the end of January, it just hits really well. There's a group of friends going. There's about 15 of us. We've gone the past two years. And because it's in Butlins, you take your own food, you take your own drink. Yeah. There's there's pool parties. Oh, and it's very silly. Nice. It's just really silly. Like, it's yeah. not like the festival. There's no cool dance music. There's no drum and bass. It is just cheesy pop and silly. And it's, um yeah, it's, you know, there's... It, it's just what you need at the end of January. It's the perfect January blues remedy. Yeah. So I always look forward to that at this time of year. Um, yeah. But otherwise, I'm just looking forward to getting back into the festival season and, and doing stuff and feeling more confident in myself. I think that's – I feel quite sure about myself. I don't feel like I need to um, panic and take DJ sets to, to maintain relationships. I feel like – People don't want me to DJ now, then they don't want me. You know, like, I'm not going to beg anymore. <laughs> You're past that stage now. I know my worth, and it's fine. Exactly. I'm, I don't want to do things for cheap or free. I don't want to be on your lineup. You need to pay me. If you're not going to pay me, then get get the next generation to do it. And that's absolutely fine, but um, all artists are worth being paid. But speaking of um, upcoming DJs, do you think we're in good hands with the DJs that we've got at the moment because I've got a school friend who's a DJ at the moment and he's been doing sets for like the vault and halo and that sort of thing he goes by the name Tills because his surname is Tilly and his so his nickname just happened to be Tills um and he's been doing that oh god ever since I've known him so it must be going on a decade now um yeah so do you think we're going in like a good direction just generally with the DJs we've got coming up I do think so. I think um, attitudes are changing towards DJs in general. You know, before it was like, people still think of, especially when I, what stuff I do, like multi-genre, they expect like a disco Dave, like a a school disco. And for someone to be on the mic being like, here's a YMCA. And now that we're kind of changing it and being like, anyone can DJ Mm -hmm. if you put the time and energy into it. And if you talk about your music, um, there's a really great kind of blogger, there's a lot of he does these yellow postcards called he's called Elijah. I don't know if you know of him. Not immediately to my knowledge. Really worth checking out. Okay, do that. Mind. I love what he kind of says, and he's like, more people DJing casually is great for music. Mm-hmm. If you're a DJ, you're essentially a music journalist. 
Yeah, I can understand that because you're playing so many different genres that your musical knowledge just exactly. Um, and the, the, the and my big thing is there is space for everybody, you know. And when people first start out, it's okay to play to just your mates in a room, or then you know you play on this next one, you do the the first hour, or you you kind of build yourself up. But I think there's so much space for people now and it is going in the right direction because everyone's got different opinions. And if someone says they don't like your music, so what? You know, you don't want to be killing a dance floor, but if <laughs> if you're playing in a cool cocktail bar and playing these random edits, then why not? It's 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 great. Like everyone's got all these chances. Also, everyone so can get hold of music in so many different ways now. And they yeah. can listen to it in so many different ways. And it's how they do things, you know, whether they want to make a mix, whether they want to produce something themselves. If people, it's people's creativity showing through and it's I think it's it's good. I don't I don't ever listen to anyone anymore or see anyone and go, they're crap. You know, it's almost like, oh, I would but I find I try not to go places where I'd played music because I'd be like, oh, I wouldn't have done that. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's if you make mistakes it makes you human and you're not like i said before you're not using the sync button and you're not relying on serato or something to tell you what to do you're feeling it from your gut don't find that point when you see a dj do a set do you find it easy or difficult to try and to not have your dj hat on as i would have done something different or can you just enjoy it just to enjoy it so i if i'm going to go out clubbing for example yeah. or something for a big gig that i'd love i tend to go either kind of breakbeats or listen to breakbeats or something like Ed Banger or, or Soul Wax or Too Many DJs, stuff that is just way too out of my range. I can't touch sure. and that everything I listen to blows me away. So yeah. that's what I really enjoy because I cannot do it. And I, yeah. I cannot do it. I cannot yeah. do that. And I've purposely always never touched breakbeats because I love them. So I've never wanted to go, oh, I would have done that. Um, mm. but when I go to somewhere like that plays similar music to me, I'll be like, oh, but then it's it's not, that's not cool to just diss someone. Just because they're doing it differently doesn't mean it's, yeah. me. it's just a different way. And there is no wrong or right way to DJ. And that is something I always tell people. I yeah. stand next to people and DJ, we DJ completely different because everyone learns the way they want to learn and however it works for them, you know, there's no wrong or right way to it. So, Yeah. And I guess DJing in general is just, more accessible because even though a pair of DJ dates probably isn't cheap cheap but they're probably cheaper than they were however many years ago yeah I mean I I have my own set I have my own controller which is a very it's a professional one I use it for things like that um but I've before that I had a, a set of cheap ones you know that I used at home but you just learn to use in venues. There's nothing better than using Pioneers, um, like the, the kind of club standard 2000 Nexus, are what everyone should learn on. They are wonderful. They're lovely. And then um, like a, a nice Technic mixer is, is just perfect. And it, it's just sometimes it's about the confidence. Mm-hmm. And if you mess up to just fix it or just, <laughs> just own it and fix it, don't like hide or look like you've messed up. That's the big thing I learned. Like if you look like you've messed up, people will look at you and feel your awkwardness. Just be like, just spin it back or do something silly or put the next truck in louder. As long as you don't do that, you'll be fine. Being in live performance 
in general, you're going to mess up. The amount of times I've broken a guitar string when I'm halfway through a song, or I drop a pick, or I play a wrong chord or something, it, you just literally carry on like nothing's ever happened. But I guess it's easier said than done to a certain extent without that experience. You just figure it out, don't you? But sometimes even now I do something that's so bad I'll mess up. And <laughs> now I just laugh it off. Yeah. I'll just be like, oh, my God, and, like, laugh. And if I can see anyone looking at me, I'll be like, you know, yeah, I've made a mistake. You know, it's owning up to it. Everyone makes mistakes. We're humans. So if anyone is listening and feels like, mm, give it a crack and see what happens, what advice would you give to someone starting out in DJing, advice, technique, or anything else? So the first thing would be to decide what music you want to do because it's so different like as a multi-genre dj it means i played so many different things but if you're a house dj the bpm's all the same so mm. technically i find it's a lot easier to mix it's really easy to mix house music um but then you'd need this huge knowledge of house music and you'd need to know where yes. the drop is and things like that and, and mm-hmm. also know what people like things like so learning to know what music you want to do first is really important um and then collecting the music. And then to go about getting gigs, I would probably try and make relationships with a promoter or someone that does that night and ask to stand with them or be like, can I watch you? Could I open for you? That kind of thing. Um, and then go from there. So it's building, I wouldn't say do your own night or anything like that. I don't agree with people learning in their bedroom. I don't, technically it's a great thing to do. But the amount of bedroom DJs that come out of their bedroom and then realise they don't know how to work a dance floor and that their technical skills are absolutely incredible, but they don't put their head up and they realise that they've now got to play to 200 people that care about what they're playing and not how it sounds technically. They care about the actual song. Um, it's better to, I'd say, keep making mistakes and go out there and do small sets rather than think you have to perfect it and go out there. You know, just get out there and do it. Do it in small clubs, do it in student nights, do it in places um, and have fun with it. Take your mates down and just as long as they're hyping you up and just keep practising. I think that's, that's the best thing to do. I've never, ever recorded a DJ set and sent it to a promoter and I never will. And that confuses people because everyone wants to hear my SoundCloud and I refuse to do that because my set will be different for every single room I walk into. Um, and I will continue to do that. Okay. And so so what tends to be the final song you do at the end of a DJ set? The song you end with so everyone leaves happy whether or not they can remember it or not. So I, I have a few. Mm-hmm. Um, one is Coolio, Gangster's Paradise. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice. um, one is it could have been anything that you wanted to be, um, or which is from Bugsy Malone. It could have been anything that we wanted to be, yeah. So that's another one. Um, other things, things like Fleetwood Mac, um, everywhere. Go Your Own Way. Yeah, Go Your Own Way or Everywhere. Both of them are ones, good finishers. Yeah. Um, David Barry tracks, they tend to be mm-hmm. quite good ones. But yeah, if I can, it'll be normally gangsters paradise okay yeah because for all like the notes that i've been to it's always been don't look back in anger or wonderwall or mr brightside or ymca or just you know one of those 
things like supposedly gets everyone dancing and and leaves happy in whatever state they're in they can at least try and remember that and so the last thing to ask you so with the podcast being about reaching your own crescendo um obviously so everyone has a different place they want to end up i guess with a dj it could be playing like a massive arena or someone like that i guess when you first started where did you want to end up like which venue did you want to play when i first started when i first started i really didn't think i was a dj and and it took me like three or four years to even i used to call myself a selector as a lot of people do you know um and it wasn't until a few years later that i kind of started to realize i was a dj and back then as an indie dj specifically um Mm. i got to play a few of the venues i always wanted to which was like the old blue last um which to me was like indie heaven um (laughs) i got to play that and i got to play ding walls as well which is like you know it's just it's it's indie kind of dreams really isn't it the indie venues of the past um so they were really big moments and, and glastonbury as well and then playing ibiza was like Oh yeah, that's. I never yeah. thought I'd be here, you know. Um, <laughs> so they're, they're all kind of big milestones that I was like, "Oh yeah, I've done that now. Great, yeah." Yeah, and I guess that the fact that you don't have to always stay up till stupid o'clock in the morning—it's probably quite nice for a DJ, considering like the stereotypical life for a DJ is working at night and then sleeping in the day to do the entire thing all over again on a weekend. Which, which is my, that that is my life at weekends in the winter. I do, I am up till three, three in the morning, every Friday and Saturday night. Yeah. But I only do that in the winter. As soon as festival comes season, I, you know, I leave the clubs and go back into the, the fields. But I don't, wanna, I don't want to do the clubs so much anymore, you know. It's, yeah. It is tiring. And like this time of year, I don't see very much sunlight. You know, I have to take my extra vitamin D tablets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So is there still a venue that, that you haven't played yet, but you want to? Uh, Venue-wise, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, DJ-wise, like festival-wise, I haven't played Reading or Leeds, which would be nice. Um, venue, I don't know. Like locally, I've played quite a lot. I've played Halo, I've played 60, the Fire Station, the O2, mm-hmm. um, most venues or... If I haven't played them, I probably will. You know, down the yeah. line. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's a, a venue that. I mean, we I played the O2 recently in London, but it's like oh, the, nice. the hotel next to it, which is a massive <laughs> three thousand capacity hall, but it's classed as a hotel. So yeah, I'm yeah. Like I'm having well, it, it. It still counts. It still counts. Yeah, I'm sure it still says the O2 in the title somewhere. Exactly. Um, there's probably a few more if I thought about probably you know like the holy arms or something it's kind of just got that thing for me as an indie kid in the novels that i'd love to do but i also don't need to chase these things anymore there's not there's not many that i'm like i really need to do that but then i probably is i'll probably be like i'd love to do that <laughs> I kind of there's quite a few djs that are a few years younger than me all female doing kind of similar music to me and then mm-hmm. sometimes I'll put something up and I'll get this little spike of jealousy for a second being like, I want that gig. And then I'm like, yeah. 
oh no, I, I've done that gig. You know, I've done that, yeah. Done that, you know. I've got the t-shirt. I've got the t-shirt. Other people have a go there. You don't need to do it anymore, you know. But there's that bit of you that you, you never want to seem irrelevant, you know. But um, yeah, you've got to make space for people and not, you know, the space for everybody, essentially. But I, generally, my biggest thing this year is I'd like to do brunches and early evenings. <laughs> that's, that's what I'd really like, you know, more of that. Yeah. I think that is a perfect way to end. So, uh, tour of the force. Just thanks for agreeing to come on, and it has been a pleasure to have you on. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.